Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show Q&A, where Doug Maurice and Shahan J. Haraja answer questions about the playoff and its contenders from subscribers. Thanks, everyone, joining us on the College Football Playoff Show Q&A. Maybe you heard our commercial. Maybe a friend told you. Maybe you, you know, put college football playoff into your podcast search. Maybe you came across us on Twitter. Maybe you're a Shahan groupie. Whatever you are. I know you're not here for me. Whatever you are, whyever you're here, we're glad to have you, whether it's a repeat or a first timer. This is our press conference show where we take questions from our tech subscribers. You want to be part of that? 817-442-6789. It's a 14-day free trial, a dollar a month. And then we take your questions and we dive in on college football. So Shahan, Let's do that right now. I got one for you off the top, and it's not even really a question because we have not really discussed this yet. The reports within the last week about a potential Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC alliance. This is our guy, Christopher. We may need a pod about this ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten alliance. So we're just going to lead off the pod, Shahan. What do you think of the idea of these other Power Five conferences bonding together for some kind of scheduling thing to create more TV content or maybe as a voting block for TV negotiations. Do you think this makes sense as a way to sort of battle the SEC? Well, I think the first thing to say about it is this is, I think, to some extent, a little inevitable. I think that we're moving in a very NFLized direction of college football. And this kind of just confirms that, right? With the SEC being one side of this, and it turns out, everybody else potentially being the other side of that. And so does this create a battle at the SEC? I I don't know. I mean, you still have uh, what it would be four of the seven top teams in the country this year would be in that SEC conference if we kind of went forward with that, right? So like, I still think that the SEC would be better potentially, uh, you know, in terms of in terms of one through 16 quality of play than having to toss all those teams in the ACC and in the Pac-12 and, and try to group them together. Now, I do think that the one thing is, I, I do think that there would be some value to just playing more non-conference games in terms of playing more regional games of trying to, you know, again, I think that we're going to talk about it a lot uh, on the next podcast, Ohio State versus Oregon. I think that's a very good thing for the sport to mix the Big Ten uh, and the Midwest with the, with the West Coast and the Pac-12. So from that perspective, it makes sense, but also... Man, is this, uh, if you need an indicator of how big this SEC news is getting Texas and Oklahoma, it's the fact that every other conference is like, maybe if we all band together, we can maybe match up with it. I do think it's the only way for anybody else to grow without somebody else being hurt because the SEC grew by hurting the Big 12. So if the the other three conferences don't work together, then it's all about, well, is is the Big 10 going to raid the Pac-12? Is the ACC going to, you know, raid the Big Ten or whatever? Is is Ohio State going to change conferences? Is Clemson going to go to the SEC? This is the only way for everybody sort of to survive together, right? It's it's like it's like the toys at the end of Toy Story. All the toys, they hold, hey, I don't want to ruin it. I hope I'm not ruining. <laughs> Spoiler alert, <laughs> on Toy Story 4, they all hold hands before they go in the big fire pit. So this is the fire pit, and they're waiting for the claw, right? Like they, ah, this is a bad analogy. I just like Pixar movies. <laughs> Maybe it's more like The Good Dinosaur. Very underrated Pixar movie. Anyway, this makes sense to me because it's about TV inventory. And yes, it does take sort of everybody else together to match the SEC. But when you start going, okay, well, if you get 
Ohio State and Michigan and Notre Dame and USC when USC is peak USC. And you can make Clemson maybe more of a, of a, of a national brand rather than a local brand. And you can start gathering some TV inventory. And that's what it's about. That's what I've always said. And I think I agree with you. And listen, they don't have to be equal. It's like the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference in the NBA. It's like the Western Conference is better, but you got to play somebody in the finals. You need another side, right? So so I, I think there's a lot that makes sense about this, Shahan. I think one thing that you said that's interesting is, like you said, this very much goes into it not trying to hurt the other conferences. And I do feel like there is an aspect of that that is poetic in a way, that the SEC is like, we're going to rip and tear and we're going to kind of do what it takes to, to build ourselves up. And all the others are like, well, how can we do this without ruining the integrity of the structure of our sport and stuff? And that does actually track, I feel like, in a lot of ways with how the last 20 to 30 years of the sport has gone. I mean, it sets up like if it winds up kind of with two sides of college football, man, that's juicy, right? Like it's kind of the SEC way of doing business. And honestly, I mean, this is how it works in life and politics like in religion, like in a lot of things, it's like there's side A and then side B is mostly anti side A. It's like, well, what binds you together? It's like, I don't know. We're very different. We just hate the same people. That's it's like that's what would bond these other conferences together. It's like, well, we don't want to be the SEC. We've got to challenge them. And that's often enough. Is that really what we want? Is that is that really what we want? We want another team A versus team B battle. My naive young friend, <laughs> let me tell you about, I mean, it is, it's unfortunate in the world, real life things that matter, people turn into sport. It's yeah. like, hey, it's like, who won? It's like, what are you talking about? Who won? This is, this is, these are people's lives. Nobody won. And now it's like, this stuff is creeping into sports. It goes both ways. And we get the worst of both worlds. Good luck, college football. Yeah, I, I'll make sure and hold off on on our Afghanistan takes this week. <laughs> let's let's go ahead and move on to the next question. This one's from Elijah in Wilmington, Delaware. With conference realignment being a huge topic of discussion lately, has the want for a 12 team playoff changed or is that playoff co- format even more important now? So I think the need for it has grown because Greg Sankey can't tell Oklahoma to come to the SEC and then be like, well, you got to beat Bama to get in the playoff or you're not going to get in because only four teams get in. Clearly, the 12-team idea and the SEC expansion was tied together. And also, the Big Ten champ has had years where the Big Ten champ did not get in the playoff, right? The Pac-12 has been on the sidelines for the playoffs a lot of the time. I think it's in almost everybody's interests for different reasons to have an expanded playoff. So I don't think that I think that need is actually intensified. But when you tie the playoff expansion to the TV deal and when you tie the TV deal to the power in college football and the money making opportunities, that's what everybody is talking about. Maybe slowing that down because you've got to make sure you get the contract negotiation right. Maybe the other conferences don't want ESPN and the SEC to take over the world. So you kind of chill out for, for that reason, for the money and power reason. But Shahan, I think for the football reasons, I think it only increases why everybody, I don't know who doesn't want. I mean, the group of five wants an expanded playoff. The SEC wants an expanded playoff and everybody else wants an expanded playoff. You know, Ohio State saying we need to live in a world where the Big Ten champ is guaranteed a spot, right? Because that hasn't been the case. So I think it's still good for everybody when you talk about football. Yeah, and I think that I can't remember who made this comment, so I apologize if you were the one who put it out there, but the SEC is the only group that wins whether it's a four-team playoff or whether it's a 12-team playoff, right? I mean, 
because if it's a four-team playoff, they still can get one to two teams in every single year. They're guaranteed a spot. If it's a 12-team playoff, we're talking four or five teams, right? So yeah. they win no matter what. And so I think a lot of the the bluster around it in terms of the football side has been, oh, well, how do we kind of try to handicap this new look SEC thing? But the reality is they win regardless. And uh, you mentioned an interesting point, which was that taking the playoff to market and being able to have different entities bid on it other than just ESPN, who obviously runs the playoff right now. Maybe that's something that uh, that makes more sense in the coming years, both in terms of the ESPN influence, but also just in terms of monetarily. What if Fox puts together a monster offer? What if CBS puts together a monster offer? You just don't know what these kinds of things. And so that is something that maybe could short term slow it down. But like you said, football perspective, I think that everybody's clamoring for it and they should be. And you see, again, you said at the very beginning of this podcast, how it's getting more like the NFL and the NFL Different networks Mm -hmm. have regular season contracts with different entities in different ways. And then at the end, they all take turns having the Super Bowl in different years, right? That it's not one network dominating the property because the property is so valuable. You make more money by splitting it up and everybody gets a piece of the pie. And if that's where college football is headed, and if you have to delay the playoff expansion to make that happen, I certainly, Shahan, I certainly can see a world where we wind up with a postseason, right, that is divided up. Fox gets some, ESPN gets some, streamers get some, like a whole new avenue. Hey, the you know this quarterfinal is only going to be on Amazon Prime, right? I mean, we know we're headed to that too. So I think I think that's the only delay. But also, by the way, important delay, right? I mean, it's like what? Oh, what might hold this up? Uh, gazillions of dollars? Oh, yes, yes, that might hold it up. But it's still good for everybody to get there. Our friend John, who do you guys think could be a Cinderella team and make the college football playoff? And I and I like questions like this, Shahan, because it's like, well, what does Cinderella mean to you? Because I do think it, like anybody who's not one of the four teams that we started this podcast with, where if you're not anybody that's not Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State or Oklahoma, it could be a Cinderella in my mind. But what's your definition of Cinderella and who's your team? Yeah, I think a Cinderella would, one, be a team that hasn't made it before. I think that's a critical part of it. And I think that you're right, a team that's not a blue blood. So, like, look, if if Texas or whoever else came up, like, they're supposed to be there, right? They're supposed right. to be in that conversation. Uh, the closest team, it, actually, I've got two close teams that I think. Uh, one is Iowa State. I mean, Iowa State, we talked about it on the show. I mean, they haven't won a conference title since 1912. They've been consistently one of the bottom 10% of, of power college football teams their entire time basically playing football. And what they've done under Matt Campbell is just extraordinary. I mean, again, this isn't good for Iowa State. This is just good. So if they were to have a chance, and, and I think their path is not not manageable. That, that sounds too easy. But like you can beat Iowa, who projects as a top 15 type team. You're going to have two cracks at Oklahoma. I think it's important that you beat Oklahoma in that last game, even if you lose close in that first mm-hmm. game. So if you go 12 and one and you beat Oklahoma the second time and you beat Iowa, I think that might be good enough to get in. Right. And, and I think for me, again, just that team being that team, that's what it's going to take. And the other team that I'll mention is Cincinnati, a team that I think that we will talk about in the coming weeks. And 
if you are a group of five team, it doesn't matter. You might be the greatest group of five team of all time. But if you make the playoff, even if you go, you know, if you win 100 games in a row, if you finally make the playoff, you're Cinderella still because of how the system is set up right now. And Cincinnati is in a position to, to potentially compete for that because you play Notre Dame and you play Indiana in the non-conference slate. You play in the American, which is going to have two or three or four ranked opponents as well. So, like, that's the tiny bit of path. Uh, and And again... It doesn't matter which team you are. Uh, if, if you make the playoff as a group of five team, you are a Cinderella. Yeah, I, I do think Iowa State is the best candidate for this. I agree with you. I mean, clearly when the first group of five team gets in, that's going to be a huge story. That's going to be a Butler-like story for the NCAA basketball tournament. But I think Iowa State would reflect the current reality. One is the super seniors caused by the pandemic. It's just an experienced team that's kind of getting a shot that they maybe wouldn't have gotten under normal circumstances to have a couple key guys back. And then I do think, I'm, I'm trying to think of great examples, but for instance, one of the great losses in Ohio State history, one of the most devastating losses is 1998 to Michigan State, coached by Nick Saban. Now, Michigan State's more established than Iowa State. I mean, Michigan State, you know, was really good in the 60s and is a, has a better football tradition. But I like the idea, like, it would be like all, all a current Cinderella, but also if you look back on them, it's like, ah, Matt Campbell. Because I think a lot of us think Matt Campbell's going to go on to do something whether it's in the NFL or whether it's at a, a higher profile college football program. And it's like, ah, the year Matt Campbell spun some magic with some scrappy young guys from Ames. Like, I think there's a lot of Cinderella potential magic that would only grow after the fact. And Shahan, as we do this, and as I learn, I am here to be educated by you. This, what if this was all a con? There's no show. It's just, I don't know enough about national college football. So I, I like catfished you into this podcast and it's just me, me and you talking because if I just like tried to call you up and be like, do you want to be my friend and teach me about college football? You'd be like, who is this crazy old person? But under the guise of a podcast, you get on here and teach me about college football. I've learned about Iowa State. It is a podcast as far as I know. I am having a harder and harder time believing that Oklahoma is going to beat Iowa State twice. Like that is because it the, Iowa State was the better team in both games last year. And like basically everybody's back for Iowa State. And yes, Oklahoma's going to be better. But I think I think Iowa State knows what to do against Oklahoma. And and for Oklahoma's path and Iowa State's path is you're going to play twice in three weeks. I I I don't know that Oklahoma can do that. So that makes Iowa State kind of more interesting to me almost every day as I think about that more. Yeah, they're going to be a fascinating team. I mean, and this is going to really put, I think, to the test. Like, you know, we talk about recruiting talent so much. We talk about experience so much. We're going to really kind of figure out if you've got 22 guys who are old and who all know what exactly to do, is that enough, even when you're playing against the best teams in the country? So it'll be a lot of fun. I'm, ex I'm excited to see what Iowa State does this year. Let's go ahead and move on. Another one from Elijah. What effect does the AP poll have on the playoff committee? I've always felt that polls are largely useless given the fact that the committee rankings are the only ones that matter. So let me say off the top that AP voters are idiots. And I say that only as someone who was a longtime AP voter. And I know it's like I, I I'm not going to say I tried to change the system from within. I just identified how screwy the system was from within, except there's no better way. And actually what they're doing right now is perfect. Because you need rankings. The people who say, hey, that we shouldn't have rankings at all. Well, then how are you going to say that Miami, 
Alabama is this matchup. How are you going to say that Georgia Clemson is a top five matchup if there's no poll? You just need a poll so you can put a number in front of a team like on the TV graphic or for history, right? Oh, you're this and this against top 10 teams. You need that. You need the best you can do. And frankly, this is the best we can do. It's a bunch of people from around the country who cover their own team, don't really have time to study teams nationally, don't get paid for it. So frankly, I mean, how much money, how much money or time or effort you put into stuff you don't get paid for, right? So, I mean, like, I'm not trying to tell on myself, but I mean, if you think I was studying Iowa State when I was just covering Ohio State, it's like, oh, should Iowa State be eighth or 11th? It's like, I don't know. I'm going to do this in five <laughs> minutes, but you need that, but it doesn't matter. So I went through the, the playoff committee exercise two years ago. A lot of journalists have done that, where you go and do the mock selection. You go to Grapevine, Texas. They have so many stats. They have so many deep analytical looks at every team. They have so many ways to compare. There are such heated discussions in the room. I swear, because you cannot, those people, those 13 people spend so much time on it. They are not going to care what a bunch of ding-dongs who spent five minutes on it think. They don't care. So... I think it is exactly right. A meaningless, yet serving a purpose poll in the first half of the season, and then a group that starts from scratch when they come in. So I have always fought. It's It doesn't matter. Now, you know, if they're obvious good teams, everyone's going to kind of kind of wind up thinking the same generally. But I, but I think we've seen, there's proof, you know, Florida State or whatever, undefeated number three in the first college football playoff rankings in the first year in the final final rankings before the, the playoff. You know, I mean, there's it, it it doesn't matter. I wouldn't care. Can you are these people watch? There's there's ADs who are like, I have to run a whole athletic department, but let me watch this Coastal Carolina game because I got to figure out where I'm going to vote them in the room when I fly to Texas away from my family during a pandemic, during a pandemic. And on the plane, they're going to be like, oh, let me look at the A people because those guys don't know anything. So, yeah, I think it's me. I think it has no effect. I think that one of the smarter things that the playoff committee did is decide that we're not going to release a ranking until November. Now, there's also aspects where it's like, do we really need a full ranking? I, we, we can get into that some other time. But I do think that the fact that you have two months of data at that point really does help. And the one place where I think that the AP poll might uh not influence, but impact just watching habits maybe is just, hey, th- this team is ranked. This is a team that maybe you need to pay attention to. This is a team that maybe should be under consideration. I think actually one thing is for group of five teams, right? Like a team like Louisiana being ranked 23rd. I think that that kind of legitimizes them in some ways. It, it sort of just goes in and says, no, this is like a real team that you should consider. And I think that when the playoff uh, rankings came out last year, that was sort of a guide from that perspective. Now, I think that all of us have been in a place where we've been putting together our own preseason all-conference teams, you know, whatever type of teams. And you glance at what other people are doing, just kind of be like, am I on the right track? Right. So I think from that perspective, when you kind of go in for that first time, I I think that it can serve as a little bit of like a a thought process. But the big thing is, I think that the preseason poll, thankfully, because of the way the the season is set up, I think is largely irrelevant. And I think that's right. The preseason poll is by far the least accurate, least valuable. It's the most fun. I, it's the one that I look at the closest, no question about it, but uh, but it's definitely the least helpful. And I think that the committee also sees it in that way. Just because something is useless doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, right? We're allowed, to, we're allowed to do things for fun. It's You're just listening to fun. this podcast. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> it, 
like you're you're allowed to have fun and talk about rankings that I don't know how accurate they are, but they're honestly the early rankings. They're better than nothing. Yeah. And that's the only threshold. Are they better than nothing? So that you were like, oh, Georgia Clemson. What's that game like? I don't know. Two pretty good teams. Man, I wish we had a way to be a little more descriptive this about this match. It's like, well, we're not allowed to analyze anything until we get two months in. That's the rule. So that would be silly, right? So that's what we have, what we have now, but it doesn't matter. Quick break on the College Football Podcast. Again, if you want to ask questions, 817-442-6789. If you're new, we love you. If you've been riding with us, we love you. And we'll be back right after this. Doug and Shahan on the College Football Podcast. We got another good one. This is we we brushed on on Cincinnati um, a little bit earlier, but this is digging a little deeper on Cincinnati, and it's just basically this: Is Cincinnati the best suited Group of Five team of the playoff era? Right, Shahan. Like, are they are they more set up to sort of get in this mix than anybody? Um, that's from our friend Scott. Do you think that's true? I think that the only other comparison that I have to that is, I think it's 2016 Houston, when they played Oklahoma in week two and they were able to win, the, or in week one rather, and were able yep. to win that big game. And uh, and obviously it was a great uh, American Athletic Conference that year. And also they had come off of that other past year where they beat uh, Lamar Jackson, Louisville, and where they beat Florida State as well, right? So that would be the only comparison and even then, I think that Cincinnati might have a better case because they do play Notre Dame, who was in the playoff last year. No, I think that we talked about it last week. I don't expect Notre Dame to be in the playoff this year. But uh, but I think that beating a team like Notre Dame, even in a non-playoff year, is still a big deal. Indiana is going to be a potential top 15 team as well. And then again, in the in the American Athletic Conference, I think you'll get two or three additional AP top 25 teams. The the American is really good right now. I mean, it's it's becoming close to, you know, sort of the bottom of the power five. And so that's the path is, yeah, they have to go undefeated through this, of course. They need to probably, or, or if they don't go undefeated, they need to win at least one of those two power five games. And in fact, they probably need to win both to be able to make the playoff. But there is a path there. Um, and I don't think that that's a common thing. But when you play two power level teams, including a team that was in the college football playoff last year. I think that does give you perhaps the best shot. I do want to touch on Houston briefly, because that, that is the example. And man, they had it in there. Do you remember the team that they lost to, to get kicked out? I didn't remember it, but I I'm looking at it now at Navy. And then at SMU, is that right? Wasn't that UConn the year that they uh, that they lost that one game? Sixteen is Navy and SMU. Mm, okay, they beat okay. UConn. That's right. But, that's right. Sorry, it was the year before they lost to UConn in 2015 to go 12 and one, and then okay. the next year they beat Oklahoma and then lost uh, to those two teams. And it's just and and that that was the Tom Herman experience. It was yes. oh my gosh, you beat Oklahoma. What did you just do? What was that? And then they beat Louisville at the end of this year in 2016. Yeah, it's but in between, they lose at Navy 46-40, and they get blown out at SMU. Th- that, that was the path, because I almost think, Shahan, I, I almost think the ideal thing for a group of five team is that week one or week two, gigantic game, mm-hmm. just like this with Oklahoma, and then kind of skate. Yeah. That, that Cincinnati's going to have to do it twice, that neither their Indiana game nor Notre Dame game is to the level of beating Oklahoma that year, but they also have to do it. They have to have two good games, right? Right, Where Houston, I mean, Oklahoma's number three 
in that opener. Houston's number 15, which is a nice starting spot for a group of five team. They immediately jumped to number six. And if they could just ride it out, I think they would have done it. Like, I I really think, because that's the year, like, Ohio State 2016 makes the playoff as, like, the non- the non big 10 champ, right. It's kind of like a weird like year. I think there was an opening there. And so it's one of the things, all they had to do was go undefeated, but that's the life for the group of five team. Cause even undefeated doesn't guarantee it. Ask UCF. It doesn't guarantee anything. You've got to go undefeated and then also have the kind of win within it to get people's attention. But whenever people bring this up forever, Shahan, I mean, it's going to be, that was the opportunity. One of those things is people, I think people think, well, the group of five teams don't get opportunities. They do sometimes they don't always they do sometimes. You just have to be perfect. Like there's no room for error, but there's not that much room for error for anybody, right? I mean, we've had good power five teams lose once and not get in. So it's it's not like they're putting in three loss power teams and the group of five has to be perfect. It's like you, you almost have to be perfect across the board, but man, that Houston team, I think that's always gonna, I'm sure Tom Houston, uh, Tom Houston, I'm sure Tom Herman thinks about that. Right. Because you start off with an Oklahoma win and it's like, man, we might be onto something here. And then you just can't finish it off. I think Tom Herman's probably got a lot of thoughts these days, to be quite <laughs> honest. Uh, so so the next one is, is there any concern from you that this won't be George's year? Not not the best reviews from the first uh, preseason scrimmage. Uh, I think that we have been very open that we're very high on this team. Is there concern from you that uh, that this might not be the year that we thought it might be? So they're just maybe getting thin at the skill positions, right? Which I think is the the question sort of referencing like that. The, the main thing is that Eric Gilbert, who's maybe maybe the biggest transfer out there from LSU, kind of a tight end, kind of a receiver. He's he's not with George at the moment uh, for some personal reasons. But when you look at and then so George Pickens out with the ACL might come back late in the year. We already knew that they had a bunch of guys transfer couple receivers transfer in the offseason. Dominic Blaylock is still dealing with knee injuries. But if you look maybe at what you maybe thought were going to be maybe their three best receivers, like none of them played in their scrimmage last weekend. Jermaine Burton was out with an injury. Uh, Kiaris Jackson was out with an injury. And then Gilbert's not with the team. And so at some point, it's like, okay, they have a lot of guys to replace on defense, but you kind of believe they always have somebody ready on defense. You believe in the run game. You believe in JT Daniels. You believe in the offensive coordinator. You believe in the schedule opportunity with Clemson, but who is JT Daniels going to throw to? And I do think it's, it's also okay to kind of just for that top tier, maybe the best five teams to sort of believe, well, you know, their third string receiver might be good enough, right? I mean, they're so talented. They recruit at such a high level, but Georgia might be testing that out. Now, if these injuries from the scrimmage, like they're fine, they're just camp injuries and you're okay. And by the time you get to the Clemson game, guys are back. Then I think Burton and Jackson and who knows what happened with what happens with Gilbert. Good luck to him. You know, that should be enough. But they're they're kind of out of wiggle room. They can't really lose any more guys at their skill spots or JT Daniels is is not going to have anyone to throw to. I th- so I think that feels like to me the question of, of maybe why people are like a little wondering about Georgia right now. And they've recruited that position very well, but we haven't seen the production outside of really George Pickens, who, of course, is going to be out for this season, right? And so I know that they have the pieces. It goes back to obviously what I always talk about. It's that I want to see it, right? And I don't know that we've seen it so far. Now, again, it's going to create some opportunities for some young players. I think that, uh, you know, if if Eric Gilbert comes back, that's going to help a lot. Uh, And... After that Clemson game, they do have some time before they really have another battle. But 
we've talked about it before to kind of really lock up their playoff case. Georgia, I think, has to be Clemson, right? I, I think for us to feel really good that they're going to be in that consideration and also, you know, where maybe they could lose to Alabama in the SEC title game and still make it, right? That's the path is beating Clemson. So that is the one bit of concern is that you really need them to come out of the gate hot. That might look like a, a little bit of an issue right now. No, I agree. All right, let's go to a Notre Dame question. And I, I can relate to where this person is coming from because they're talking about our, our close vote last week to allow Notre Dame into our playoff discussion. I was a yes, Shahan was a no, and our tech sub, uh, subscribers, and again, you get to vote on this as a tech subscriber, it was 52% to 48% to barely let Notre Dame in. If you want to vote 817-442-6789, that's one of the things you get to do. Jacob says this, here's my take on Notre Dame in the playoff. Does Notre Dame deserve to be in the playoff, in my opinion? No. Do I think they should be in the playoff discussion? Yes, only because the committee will put them in if they're 11 and 1, which I hate. So I bitterly voted them into the discussion because of that. There's some reality here, I think, Shahan, that is a smart way to think of it of like, well, maybe I don't want to discuss them, but you have to view it. Do you think the committee, because Notre Dame's not in a conference, because they play that national schedule, which has a couple good games and some mediocre games that might be more about reputation for their opponents than actual how actually how good they are each year. Do you think Notre Dame, which has gotten in twice in seven years, gets the benefit of the doubt from the committee sometimes? So I think that any team that has made the playoff gets a little more benefit of the doubt than teams that haven't. And obviously those top four teams like we talk about, right, 20 of the 28 spots, I think that even if it's a 50-50 year, they're going to get benefit of the doubt. And, and certainly with Alabama and Clemson, I think it's another level of getting benefit of the doubt. So does Notre Dame get benefit of the doubt? I, I think that they get some benefit of the doubt from the committee that they deserve to be in the conversation because of what Notre Dame has done, what Brian Kelly has built there, playing in two playoffs and playing in uh, in a national title game also back in 2012. Uh, at the same time, you know, I, I don't think that the committee sort of I think that can get them into the discussion. It can get them among consideration for the top four teams, but I don't think that that's what gets them in, right? Like, I think that what gets them in, I think that you do look at the wins. I think you do look at the ranked opponents. And we talked about it last week on the Notre Dame show, right? They have almost like this perfect schedule where they get to play multiple teams that we would consider uh, playoff contenders without having to play any of the teams that we actually consider national title contenders. So I do think that that is the one piece is that, they kind of lived a little bit of a charmed existence where they kind of get a little bit of both. But that's not, I don't think, because they just reputationally get into the discussion. Although, listen, obviously, I, I uh, disagree with you guys about uh, about your votes. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I don't think that it's just reputation that gets them in the dis- discussion. I think that it's that the path is also very manageable. Uh, and, and it's something that they have managed, again, multiple times at this point. I do think Notre Dame has figured out that they don't need to be in a conference to yes. be in the playoff mix, which is yes. why they're also okay with the proposed 12-team thing where, okay, we're going to put in this many conference champs and Notre Dame can't be a conference champ, but like Notre Dame's kind of okay. They've realized, right, that at the very least, there's it's not a detriment to them to not have a conference to win. And sometimes I do think they they wiggle between the cracks a little bit that – it's it's not like I mean plenty of contenders have have very manageable schedules. Ask ask Clemson, right? But I do think sometimes Notre Dame hits that sweet spot of good enough without being right pushed to the edge as as many times as maybe some other teams are, and they they realize this is a pretty good path for them in the playoff era. Yeah, just to close that out, I mean I think that 
you end up in a position where you have a couple of borderline marquee games and the rest of the schedule might not be that great. And because I, I think the one part of being Notre Dame is then it's still treated fully as a power schedule, right? It's still right. treated fully like that. That's the one piece. Now, again, that's that's more probably about the state of the ACC. That's that's probably a little about the state of the Pac-12. But I, I do think that you do get that little bit of a bump of being like, well, they did beat these premium opponents. So we're willing to kind of give them a pass for sliding for a few weeks. We will take one last quick break on the college football playoff show when we return. We have one more question, and then I have one more thing that I want to bring up to Shahan because I've got to bring it up about Ryan Day. <laughs> and we'll do that next on the College Football Playoff Show. Doug and Shahan back. What's the last question the folks have for me, Shahan? All right. Douglas Hainem is bringing the heat. Isn't Alabama overrated? I know they will be good, but number one. And also, uh, it was 63, I believe, out of 65 first place votes in the coaches poll. And it was, I believe, 46 out of 63 in the AP poll. So not only are they number one, they're pretty definitively number one. I did think the 46 was more reflective of reality than the 63. I I don't think Alabama has enough back to be like, hey, 96 percent of people say Alabama deserves to be number one. And I think in college football to be like, well, they won it last year. It's like, listen, man, the guys leave every year. It's how it works. Like, I think it's it's if you had a Super Bowl champ that was like, oh, our 15 best players, we lost them all in free agency. What are we going to do? It's like doesn't play here anymore. Yeah. Well, the jerseys are the same. It's like, no, that's not how it works. All the players left. Now, it's, I mean, Saban, man. I, I do think it was an extreme exodus, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and Steve Sarkeesian, which is the thing that, like, that is, I think it's okay to think that maybe Bill O'Brien won't be quite as good as, as Sark, at least right away. I think that is a reasonable thing. So, Yes, I I do think I do think they're overrated. I think I think too many people just check the box, but it's like I it, do you even want to do that? Do you even want to say the word overrated? Should we send this text to the Alabama football office so Saban can hang it in the locker room? Like is that that's the last thing you want? Last year they were mad, right? Cuz so 2 years ago they don't make the playoff for the first time ever and it's like all I talked about all season was angry Bama, angry Bama and it's like, "Oh, Oh, you remember how LSU had the greatest offense ever? Remember how back in the day when Alabama won titles and you thought their offense wasn't up to snuff? Okay, let's do the LSU offense thing with the typical Bama defense led by the greatest coach ever. How do you like that world? So they're going to do that to people and then we're going to be like, overrated. Have them number one. That's Don't say it. Don't say it out loud. Don't anger them. Just let them be not as good as usual. But don't don't say it to their faces. Don't say it on a podcast. Don't send us any more texts about Bama being overrated or they're going to get mad. And you don't want them to get mad. So, yes, I agree. I'm fine that they're number one. I thought I thought the coaches were lazy that everybody was like, ah, Bama, because I think there's enough other good candidates. I think that that's a big part of it, right, is that you don't want to be the guy, especially for the AP poll voters. Their votes are public, right? So right. if they put... Oklahoma number one, right? We talked about last week that I would consider putting Oklahoma number one. We'd consider putting Georgia in the top two, potentially putting the, you know, most of the four teams that we discuss outside of the top two. Well, guess what? That means that our ballot is public. And when that goes horribly wrong, then we have to live with that. Right. And so the safest thing imaginable, especially if you talked about it with AP poll voters, a lot of these guys are guys covering one team, one school, 
and having to kind of just on the side pay attention and try to figure out who the best teams in America are. Part of the reason, by the way, that we have this show because we're going to actually go through it. All that said, uh, if you don't really know, and which is totally fair, most people don't really know, it is easy to put Alabama because mm-hmm. you are never wrong. You are, you never look dumb for having put Alabama number one or Clemson number one. I, I talked about in our preview magazine over at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, we ask a bunch of writers, who is your national champion, along with a lot of other subjects, and everybody was like, oh, well, it's an off-Alabama year, so our most common answer was Clemson. I don't think Clemson is necessarily better than Alabama, much less more of a national title contender, right? So I I think that you just have to go back to how these things are made, how these things are done. And uh, and from that perspective, this doesn't surprise me. And yes, I would not have Alabama number one and probably not even number two. I'm old enough to remember voting in the AP poll in 2009 when everybody was on Florida still because Florida mm. had come off its second national title in three years. And that's just when Saban was getting going. And I had Alabama number one, like very early. I was like an early Bama adopter when nobody else had adopted and people were yelling at me. But I have a backbone of steel, Shahan. I had people from all over the country who didn't know me, but they hated me because I voted so differently than everybody else. But I can't hold everyone else to that same standard. It's not it's not fair because not everyone is as strong as me, Shahan. And I've come to realize that over the years and decades. Thank you for your bravery. (laughs) Decades of being hated by strangers has really hardened my shell and prepared me for this podcast, which is why we're now going to do it to you, because <laughs> I knew we were going there before we get out of here. We we did. We appreciate all the reviews. Uh, I think we're a four point eight on Apple Podcasts and somebody dropped a one star review, which is fine, which is fine. We're not for everybody, but we get good response. Like, I feel good about where we are because the people who listen, I think, like it. But some of the texters responded a couple of the reviews. Not did not like now again, you know, there's a lot of Ohio listeners Yes, did not love the Ryan Day placement on the coaches list, Shahan, with Ryan Day at the bottom. Uh, Did you make note of any of these responses? Has it affected your view? And do you feel your backbone hardening (laughs) into steel as people you get your first dose? You're such a lovable. You're always a lovable guy. Got a smile on your face. Uh, An early dose of, of people hating you for your opinions. One thing I was taught in school was that if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. <laughs> and uh, and apparently this will be my take that I carry with me into the 2021 college football season where, again, I will we'll get to our playoff picks some other time. You know, we're going to do that, I think, before the season starts. I'll just tell you, there's probably a pretty good chance that I'm going to have Ohio State pretty high. And uh, you know what? I think that there's going to be a pretty good chance that I think that they could potentially play for a national championship. Uh, and and I do want to I do want to talk about one part of this, right? And and I mentioned it a little last week. A lot of this ranking was how I see the performance relative to job. And yep. so while Ryan Day has been out of those coaches, you know, as successful, if not more successful than almost anybody. It's also because I view Ohio State as that level of job, right? And I yep. don't view Georgia as that level of job at all. Obviously, Iowa State, we don't have to get into how we see the Iowa State job. And even in the modern era, I don't think that Oklahoma is as good a job as Ohio State. And so I think that what Ryan Day has been has done has been really impressive. But also, that's what I expect because I think Ohio State is such a good football program. So that's the, that's the argument you have to have with yourself, right? Is my program really good or is my coach really good? And I I do think that those two things influence how I see each other. 
No, it is. It's like one's it's praise. It's like it's a positive. So I can't be as positive about the other thing. So we will. I mean, when we get to our picks and we'll do that, the, the podcast before the season starts, Shahan says, Ohio State will overcome mediocre coaching <laughs> to reach national title game. And we'll put that right at the top of the podcast. All right. Thanks, you guys, for being part of it. Again, if you joined us for the first time, we're so grateful to have you here. Tell a friend. If you've been with us and you like it and you've tried us several weeks, tell a friend. If you don't like us, don't tell anyone. And also don't tell Alabama that they're overrated or they're going to just win 10 straight national titles. If you want to be a tech subscriber, 817-442-6789. You sign up for free. See what you think. We send a couple texts a week. We send surveys. You can send questions to us. That audience is going to continue to grow. And then it's a buck a month after that. Seriously, it's it's so cheap. You may as well try it. I mean, it's it's so cheap. And we do the two pods a week. We do the Q&A pod, and then we do the main pod this week. Oregon, are they a legit playoff contender? And ranking everybody by their best individual defensive player, which is different than the best overall defense. It's another fun way to look at that. Shahan and I will be doing that this week. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. And that was the College Football Playoff Show. 